man who would be king. In this edition of Cantillon Effects, I had originally intended to deal with some common current misconceptions about the workings of the economy as a preamble to presenting more detailed follow-up on the fundamental role of prices and the vital business of capital formation within that economy. But I've decided to reschedule those, since I really cannot resist the urge to examine the latest sophomoric outpourings of a certain Ray Dalio, a man who's undoubtedly a first-class moneymaker, but who has recently quit that lucrative last in order to display his second-rate intellect by peddling distinctly third-hand ideas about such abstractions as inequality and the failure of what he calls capitalism, a voracious great white shark of a beast whose main attributes are central bank mission creep, grubby political venality and crony corporatism, an apex predator of a system to whom our would-be sage, now fashionably garbed in sackcloth and face smeared in ashes by way of a rather unconvincing repentance, has served long years as a fabulously enriched pilot fish. After a lengthy, if hardly original, rehearsal of all manner of statistics showing that the little people have somehow not become rich enough to invest in his hedge fund, statistics he could have cut and pasted from a Guardian op-ed or the latest agitprop from the execrable World Economic Forum, he cuts to the chase and outlines his proposed solutions under the bold rubric, What I Think Should Be Done. Item 1. Leadership from the Top, or loosely translated, I've run Bridgewater, now I want to rule the world. As our man puts it, So I believe the leadership should create a bipartisan commission to bring together skilled people from different communities to come up with a plan to re-engineer the system to simultaneously divide and increase the economic pie better. Have you ever heard a better encapsulation of a call for technocratic tyranny? <laughs> Think Plato's Republic crossed with fatal conceit. But our ray is only getting started. Next, we get this chilling injunction. To the extent possible, I'd bring accountability down to the individual level to encourage, well, an accountability culture, bull, in which individuals are aware of whether they are net contributors or net detractors to, sick, the society, and the individuals in the society make attempts to make them net contributors. Public choice theory, forget about it. How about meet the Stasi? And what exactly is to happen to those whom you label detractors, Ray? The gulag? A lengthy spell of re-education in the communal rice paddies? Bell, book and candle? The rope? After the hand-waving and pious sentiments, we then plough headlong into a section so illiterately entitled, you catch yourself wondering if Ray's mother tongue is indeed English. Redistribution of resources that will improve both the well-beings and the productivities of the vast majority of people. Okay. In his soi-disant role as economic engineer, R. Ray has, he earnestly if somewhat unnecessarily informs us, spent a lot of time thinking about money and how it flows. After that bombshell from a billionaire speculator, he now confesses to wanting to take a chunk of your money and spend it as only he sees fit, since he obviously knows how to do so better than you do yourself. Well, I suppose he's had more practice. As for the sheer Barney-esque question-begging of just how we will turn all the raindrops into lemon drops and gumdrops, well, our saviour here seems strangely uninterested all of a sudden in the minutiae of how it would all work out in practice. So he airily declares himself happy to delegate all such decisions to his bipartisan brain trust, his coterie of court astrologers, 
and let them work it all out for him. Seemingly oblivious to the fact that such morally hazardous, inherently ungovernable mutants have been noted hotbeds of corruption and incompetence almost everywhere they've been instituted, he prosaically expresses a wish to create public-private partnerships. In other words, he wants us to save us from the evils of corporatism by encouraging, well, even more corporatism, which I am sure, by the way, you must be aware is just a polite way of saying fascism in the original sense of the word. These monstrous hybrids will naturally be judged on the basis of their social and economic performance results relative to clear metrics. Okay, judged by whom, Ray? Metrics decided by whom and on what basis? Are you at all familiar with the phrase quis custodiet ipsos custodes? And in any case, what's wrong with trusting the price system and the profit motive once you've successfully purged your world of all its accumulated ills? You do still solemnly avow to be a capitalist, after all. Further to this, our pocket Zarathustra has an itch to raise money in ways that both improve conditions and improve the economy's productivity by taking into consideration the all-in costs of a burst society. For example, I tax pollution and various causes of bad health that have sizable economic costs for the society. Which is to say, in a rather clumsy fashion, that he'd like to play enlightened despot, alternatively proffering stick and carrot, according to his particular ordering of preferences. Next, the sop to the restive crowd, waving their mattocks and pitchforks angrily outside his chateau gates to the flickering of lofted torches and lanterns follows here as he avows himself ready to raise more from the top via taxes that would be engineered not to have disruptive effects on productivity. Now that's a very nice piece of cheap theatre, with a rather large snag attached in that conditional, so glibly implied by the last few words. But I know, perhaps we could make a start by expropriating zero added value plutocrats like, well, like you, Ray. Now it's time to get all macro, since that's our chief engineer's metier, after all. We need, he insists, coordination of monetary and fiscal policies. Because money is clogged at the top, what does that mean? And because the capacity of central banks to ease enough to reverse the next economic downturn is limited, fiscal policy will have to be more coordinated with monetary policy. So big government's failing, you say? I know. Let's try a different form of even bigger government, shall we? And yes, I did read my IMF fiscal space briefing pack and Larry Summers and the Levy and Peterson Institute types as source material and no, come to think of it, I don't consider those MMT guys about whom we hear so much to be all off with the fairies. Now, lest you worry that sufficient resources might not exist for any of this wish list actually to be carried out, Dalio now does his Alexandria occluded cortex best and simply asserts that, well, yes, of course, there are plenty of them to go around. If only we can stop the populists of the left and right, i.e. the politicians who tend to more closely reflect their electors' wishes than the establishment time servers whose perks they threaten, from stopping skilled and responsible people, i.e. Ray and his chosen nomenclatura, from enacting reforms in the name of the proletariat, uh, so, sorry, the people, and enacting them, as is implied, whether they democratically express a liking for it or not. Whew. 
Well, after suffering through that lower sixth debating team homily, one is left not knowing whether to laugh at the man's intellectual conceit or to despair that he's being so fawned upon in presenting it and being given such a wide platform on which to do so. Whatever the choice, the best we can recommend is that someone in his entourage give Mr Dalio a copy of Hayek's 1974 Noble Acceptance Address, The Pretense of Knowledge, and keep him away from any and all microphones and cameras until he has read it and shown that he has managed to absorb at least some modicum of its meaning. Thank you.